Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Conversations on Dance is generously supported by Yumiko. Have you seen the recent collaboration between MB Studios and Yumiko? Check out their website, yumiko.com, or their Instagram, at Yumiko and at Yumiko World, to view these new designs that include bags and backpacks that come in all shapes and sizes, and adorable makeup bags that say Merd, Susu, and Be a Swan. Yumiko has also recently released a new line of t-shirts and tote bags that you will want to make sure you check out. It's all up now on yumiko.com. This episode is brought to you by the Town of Vail, a sponsor helping to host the Vail Dance Festival in our community. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are bringing you a live podcast recording from the Vail Dance Festival with Festival Artistic Director Damien Wetzel and Martha Graham Dance Company Artistic Director Janet Elber. The pair talks with us about the Graham legacy, their roles as artistic directors with their respective organizations, and what audiences can expect to see from the Martha Graham Dance Company this year in Vail. This episode was recorded live on August 8th, 2019. Thank you all for coming out for our final festival forum. Uh, like we said, there's a lot of familiar faces and a lot of you have been here throughout, so it's been great to see you every morning. Uh, my name is Michael Breeden. And I'm Rebecca Ferraro, and we are here, we've been here for two weeks over the festival, which has been so great. We've recorded over 20 interviews since we've been here, so grab a card on the table. We're going to be publishing a lot, upcoming with your favorite festival artists, so we look forward to being able to share all of that with you. So our guests today are the artistic director of Martha Graham Dance Company, Janet Elper, and Damian Wetzel, artistic director of the Vail Dance Festival, and president at Juilliard. So let's give our guests a, a welcoming round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Janet, so much. Janet, let's start with you. When did you first become aware of Martha Graham and how did you come to start dancing for her? 
Wow, that's a long time ago. <laughs> um, I was a, a student at the Interlochen Arts Academy in Michigan, and they took us down to Detroit on a field trip to see the Martha Graham Dance Company dance in 1969. Mm -hmm. uh, Martha was still on stage. And wow. She would have been 75 oh um, in that year. She, of course, was choreographing works for herself that were more and more dramatic and less and less physical. Mm -hmm. But I was a 17-year-old kid who looked at this old lady walking around on the stage and said, what the heck is this? <laughs> uh, but I wound up at Juilliard, where we were required to take the Graham Technique. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was coming out of sort of the Limon and ballet tradition and uh, couldn't figure out why I had to sit on the floor doing these torso gyrations mm -hmm. for half an hour before I was allowed to dance. And because I was you know, 18 and discovering New York City. <laughs> I had other things to do. <laughs> so I skipped all of my Graham classes <laughs> oh my for gosh. most of the first year. Uh -huh. um, I had to cram for my juries at the end of my freshman year. And Risa Steinberg quickly taught me all the exercises. Um, and when I returned for my sophomore year, the, the, the light bulb went off. Mm -hmm. We were reconstructing a work, Diversion of Angels, and I was cast in it. And suddenly, I understood that this vocabulary that I had been slaving over was able to make poetry, mm. was able to write the great American novel, was able to express anything a young, repressed Midwesterner wanted to express, I could do it on stage. Um, so that was really the, the light bulb moment. And by my senior year, I had been taken into the Graham Company, um, members of her of her company taught at Juilliard mm -hmm. and uh, brought me in as an apprentice to the company. Mm -hmm. uh, Martha had been fairly absent in those years, um, uh, the early 70s, because she had to give up being on stage. Mm -hmm. And she kind of disappeared. So I was in the company actually before she, she didn't audition me or anything like that. I was just one of these leggy new dancers that she was very suspicious of. Uh -huh. <laughs> so how long was it then before you started to really work with Martha? And did that kind of build up some suspense there when she finally showed up? Was it, uh, you know, <laughs> Yes, tension? well, I was, I was still at Juilliard, and there was a small tour, and she came with us and began choreographing and kind of um, using me and two other tall ladies as a, a chorus that would surround her soloist and things. But I had to step in. I was understudying a role in Cave of the Heart, her Medea ballet. I was understudying the role of the chorus, which is a solo role. Mm. And I stepped in, and she came backstage after the performance and said, you've been hiding from me. <laughs> and I said... No, not really. <laughs> she said, I see you now. So that was really another light bulb moment. Uh -huh. And um, I began uh, doing more of the solo roles. And she worked with me in almost every one of the new works she was creating at mm -hmm. that time. Wow. That's so great. So, Damien, you come from a very different tradition. You were at New York City Ballet. You danced um, the works of Balanchine and Robbins. Uh, but when did you first um, see a, a Graham work in performance, and why did that strike you as an important voice in the art? Uh, before I do that, I just have to say that was incredible. Story. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> oh, I left a lot out. That was uh, <laughs> so moving to hear history so vividly alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can actually imagine how it really was 
so pivotal, not only for, for you, but for her. Because when we think how we end up sitting here today, this is how it happens. Mm-hmm. It's, there are a series of moments that matter. Uh, and I'm proud to say that Juilliard was a part of it. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and of course, you know, Graham is a rich presence at Juilliard since the beginning. There's a reason you were being forced to do that uh, or tried to be. Yes, uh, we, we did our best. And um, you can tell your students you're not allowed to skip Graham. Well, <laughs> you know, there's always there's many ways to get to heaven. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's really important thing to remember that, you know, it, it, we're dealing with individuals here. Mm-hmm. We may have a common cause that we're trying to achieve, but right. we are in individuals and there are, you want to nurture voice mm-hmm. and part of that sometimes is rebellion mm-hmm. and how you how you handle that really matters uh you know i think the the you know the starscape is is littered with people who didn't fit in yeah. And I think that's always an important lesson, whether it's, you know, you're trying to make when you try to get from A to B and say, we have to do this way. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes there's there's variations along the way. And I love yeah. that that principle. So, Janet, your story is so extraordinary. It's just great. Can I tell one little more? I'd Ramsey? love it. Yeah. yeah. We hope there are lots the ones more. that don't fit in. Uh, <laughs> we've had uh, our school is as old as our company and we are the oldest dance company in the United States. Um, and Martha often oversaw classes in the early years, even during my time. Um, and they had an extensive children's program. And the the uh, her sister who ran the school came to Martha and said, listen, these seven, eight, nine year olds Um, We've got a wonderful group, but there are two that are causing so much trouble. They steal the other children's shoes, and they, they, they they won't just sit still in class. And Martha looked at her and said, those are the only two that interest me. <laughs> See? Yeah. Yeah, that's How right. Funny. I mean, I think that, you know, when I look back on, I don't have anywhere near as interesting a story as Janet in this regard in some ways, but... I was a kid in Boston, and I was at the Boston Ballet School, and they started a summer program that suddenly became much more inclusive, mm-hmm. uh, much more varying techniques being taught, uh, including modern dance. And we didn't have a gram teacher per se, but suddenly the world opened. Before that, it was in the books, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, and then I did see the Graham Company when I was still in Boston, and then when I moved to New York to join first SAB, School of American Ballet, uh, and then New York City Ballet, I remember Graham seasons at State Theater, and I remember seeing Rite of Spring, which was new then, uh, with Therese Capsilli, who now teaches Graham uh, extraordinarily well and beautifully at the Juilliard. Uh, so I was kind of, it was, uh, we were sharing space, essentially, yeah. which uh, to me is the ideal scenario mm-hmm. that you're not in some cloistered situation, that you always recognize that there are moments to be narrow and focused, and then there are these extraordinary open you know, opportunities mm-hmm. that you want to have, which is exactly what we hope for here in Vail, mm-hmm. you know, that you always are rubbing up against other people, right. that you're always getting a chance to, to experience something new, hopefully try something new, uh, uh, at the very least learn, uh, and also gain respect a mutual respect. Yeah. Janet, when you were talking about Martha dealing with um, leaving the stage and kind of having an absence, you know, there's that great Martha quote, I might have to be paraphrasing, but a dancer dies twice and the first time is harder. Um, yeah. How did she end up coping with that artistically? Did she end up um, choreographing, kind of working her way through that process in the end? Well, she didn't deal with it well at all mm-hmm. um, in those years just before I joined the company. I mean, she had a, a, she was an alcoholic, 
and would be on stage drunk. Her company members at the time talk about leading her around the stage. And um, so uh, when I was taken into the company, I think she was going through uh, rehab, basically, and, mm -hmm. and um, uh, turning a page in her life. Mm -hmm. And this was the early 70s. And in the first couple of years that I was in the company, Martha was kind of rediscovered. Um, the company was performing again, and she began to choreograph again. But this was also the era of celebrity culture, the birth of celebrity <laughs> culture, People <laughs> Magazine. Mm -hmm. And Martha was embraced. Uh, Jackie O visited rehearsal, T Truman Capote, and um, Betty Ford had danced with Martha, and, and Gerald Ford gave Martha the Medal of Freedom mm -hmm. uh, at the White House. And um, Halston... Uh, became a great friend and and supporter and costume designer for us. And I think that attention mm -hmm. allowed Martha to continue. I think she decided um, she was okay with being a legend mm -hmm. and she would <laughs> she would accept that role. Made her feel a little better, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, Janet, after Martha realized that you'd been hiding from her and you could no longer mm -hmm. hide, um, what was your time like with the company? And did you ever see yourself playing a role in continuing her legacy and protecting it? That never crossed my mind, mm -hmm. I have to say, uh, continuing a legacy. I, I think dancers, when they are dancing at the level that our dancers are dancing and city ballet, and um, you are so focused on what you're doing physically, of course, but also what you're expressing and how to improve that and to deepen it. And, you know, that you don't really don't spend a lot of time thinking about, gee, what's going to happen when I stop dancing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but my time with the company was extraordinary. Again, because Martha was rediscovered and we were the first modern dance company to dance at Covent Garden. We mm. were the first dance company to dance in both Israel and Egypt in 1976, I believe, or 77. We did a, a tour of uh, Southeast Asia. We danced in Saigon about six months before it fell, mm. State Department tours. And, um, and Martha was uh, creating two new ballets every year, as well as directing us in what were becoming classics. I mean, when I danced in Appalachian Spring, it was only about 30 years old. Mm -hmm. This is its 75th year. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there, I was experiencing the change in the legacy of how Martha was going to direct her legacy without performing it. Mm -hmm. And this was a big transition. Mm -hmm. um, her stepping outside the dances and understanding their power um, from a directorial, more from a directorial point of view than mm -hmm. from wearing both hats for her. Mm -hmm. um, so I, as artistic director, I take a lot of direction from uh, how Martha directed during those years, the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. She passed in 91. Um, she saw that dancers were changing, their bodies were changing, their facility was changing, the, the energy, the height of the legs, the height of the jumps, mm -hmm. the speed of the turns, and she loved that. Mm -hmm. And new audiences expected it and would incorporate it into her dances. Um, the uh, must for Martha was that they had to serve the emotional message. So it wasn't tricks for tricks sakes. Mm -hmm. It was um, so 
of course, dancers continue to change. And, mm -hmm. and I work with our artistic staff to incorporate that into our works um, while maintaining that emotional message. Mm -hmm. So Damien, you took over the festival in 2007. And Janet, you took over the company in 2005. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, what were some of the initial challenges of being in these um, arts leadership roles, especially that you were on the cusp of the recession? Well, I mean, I, I think Janet had such an extraordinary uh, kind of cataclysmic beginning uh, <laughs> because there's so much legacy uh, involved in, in, the, in the pursuit that had to be held up restored, put together all the things that, you know, that needed to happen at that moment, uh, which had legal ramifications, which we've talked a lot about. One of the things I've been lucky enough to do is to teach a course at Harvard Law about arts and law. And I've had mm -hmm. Janet as a guest oh, uh, to discuss cool. that period uh, extensively because it was so pivotal uh, in, ter in terms of the survival of not only the company, but the repertory. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you know, when I started here in 2007, I'd had a history with the festival as a dancer and as a presenter, I'd directed small groups that I'd brought here. So I knew the place and it was about, uh, to me, the opportunity to, to ever, every year build something that became ever more kind of diverse, inclusive, educational. Uh, it was all built on the idea that I used to come here myself and dance. And mm -hmm. I thought, what would I have wanted? Mm -hmm. uh, and I loved coming here to dance. And I recognized that the stages here were unique. Mm -hmm. That no matter how many times I had danced something before on this stage, it looked different. And there's an opportunity in that. And so it was all about what repertory, what dancers, what companies, what new works, what new musicians, what, and all of that just built from 2007 right. on. Mm -hmm. I love that because you both were dancers in your own organizations, mm -hmm. you know, so you knew really what that was like passing it forward. How about yeah. for you, Janet? Well, I think the operable word there is unique. I mean, I knew that what we had, and, and the company did go through a terrible court case and was terribly in debt when, when I came in, but what we did have is this core collection of 20th century masterworks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to decide how to best use them, um, how to make them inclusive, how to make mm -hmm. them educational, how to, how to give audiences many points of access, mm -hmm. opening the doors so that you know, we may have had a reputation, or modern dance may have a reputation as being kind of a secret club. Mm -hmm. People are intimidated. They don't really know what happens on stage. And mm -hmm. so it was really um, finding creative ways to curate these masterworks. Um, and we do a spoken introduction to all of our mm -hmm. performances at this point, which is kind of unusual, but it's been a big part of our success, mm -hmm. I think, just opening the doors. And right. mm -hmm. we use media, we do all sorts of educational collaborations. We love coming to Vail because over the years we've had some remarkable collaborations. Um, at this performance, when we're here this time, we're working with Breckenridge Music, so we'll have live music for much of the performance. Um, and we've worked with Damien's residence art, resident artists, Tyler Peck and Michelle Torrance. And um, we're bringing a Pam Tanowitz work this year. So you know, I know that your audiences have gotten to know Pam. And, yes. Mm -hmm. At I mean, any rate, this has been the, the um, 
momentum behind the Graham Company, mm -hmm. this idea that we're curating the legacy by being as creative as possible. And that includes commissioning new works mm -hmm. that resonate with mm -hmm. this unique uh, collection we have. Yeah. We definitely want to continue to talk about that a little more coming up. But I also want to know for both of you, how did your expectations of the positions you were taking over differ from the reality? <laughs> Maybe a loaded question. I don't know that I had expectations. Mm -hmm. I saw, um, I was kind of horrified and terrified by how close to death the Graham Company was. Mm -hmm. And I'd been living in Los Angeles. I married a screenwriter, so I lived out there for many years. And in my time there, had realized that nobody really knows who Martha Graham is. Mm -hmm. So I just saw this urgency that I had to open the doors to who Martha Graham was mm -hmm. and bring fresh eyes to the amazing things she did uh, in the course of her career. Uh, and um, uh, bring new audiences, new funders, uh, new ways of looking at this, and uh, refurbish and secure her reputation as a cornerstone of American culture. Mm -hmm. What I hear in that in some ways is, the, is some similarities about challenging assumptions. Like the assumption Martha Graham is, is a legend, therefore everybody knows and should appreciate, right, and therefore right. it's all going to be, mm -hmm. you know, rosy. And right. the truth is, <laughs> life isn't actually like that. You have to actually constantly re-engage. You have to constantly reimagine. Mm -hmm. And growing up in New York City Valley in the wake of Mr. Balanchine's death and then Mr. Robbins' passing, it was a constant kind of effort to kind of memorialize, uh, sometimes to, to, to freeze, which you realize quickly is not a good idea, mm -hmm. uh, that these are living works, that they have to actually uh, be actively uh, on the stage, not simply uh, in, in some kind of... Uh, static state mm -hmm. uh, but then uh, you know for me uh, starting here at the festival and to a great degree pretty much all the things that I've been lucky enough to do uh, it's that reimagining and then about assumptions being challenged and saying well mm -hmm. they should like it well maybe not maybe mm -hmm. we need to actually work a little bit differently we have to educate differently that's mm -hmm. the reason we started the up close series the first year to have a have a have a performance here in Vail that really got under the the skin of a work or an artist or some sort of form that needed a little bit more uh examination even as we were performing it. It mm -hmm. wasn't simply clinical. Right. Uh, and I think that that's been kind of the modus operandi, whether it's through residencies, uh, just that principle of overlapping people together, mm -hmm. that, you know, that that edge effect that, you know, it's where, you know, biodiversity happens is when right. you put two systems together, it's right on that edge. That's where the great creative work happens. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily all have to be around new work, which I think is what's interesting. Right. It can be a reimagining. It can be just simply, you know, someone in 2019 taking on a role that might be 100 years old mm -hmm. and you have something incredibly creative mm -hmm. if you're approaching it with that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting. You were talking about, you know, you don't want works to be static. You don't want to freeze them in time. But you also are trying to maintain a level of authenticity, too. So how do you both, when you're working on a, a, a 20th century work where we don't have the choreographer with us anymore, ensure that both of those things, you know, that it's true to the, the intention of the piece, but that we're not getting bogged down or, or stuck in a museum? Well, I mean, I think that's that's the work, uh -huh. actually. It's about it's like not necessarily about thinking what is true. 
Actually, it's about it's actually about something true, not necessarily something that is exact. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you look at Balanchine and Stravinsky on on film talking about music, it tells you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. The difference between being on time and in time, and you start to think, oh, there's nuance here. Musicality is something different. Musicality is awareness, actually, on the stage of mm-hmm. people. It's not simply being right on the. Right. And that you can have someone like Tyler Peck take on an entire range of Balanchine repertory and put her own stamp on it. And the choreography is exactly as it should be. Mm-hmm. But you actually realize that there's a voice right. uh, or, you know, Michelle or Little Buck when he does anything he touches. You know, it has that level of authenticity mm-hmm. both to the work and to the to the sense of uh, trueness of voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calvin Royal this season here taking on Apollo Pa for the first time. Uh, an exact, you know, replication of Apollo. However, Apollo had how many versions? We've discussed, we've done this, and the options and finding what Calvin's voice was. Mm -hmm. And the greatest uh, interpreters and the greatest coaches share that philosophy, I think, that Mm -hmm. there there is more to say. Mm -hmm. Even before we got started in our conversation, Janet was talking about the exact same thing with Martha Works. You know, if they're decades old, you have all these options. Like Martha would change them for the dancers, correct? Yes. So, so how do you sift through that or decide what works for an individual? Well, it's, you know, there's, Damien is referring to it, um, the interpretation of each artist and the interpretation of the coaches, the direction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, plays a huge sort of mysterious part in this. You mm-hmm. can't just put on a film of a company dancing in Appalachian Spring in 1952 mm-hmm. and say to the dancers, just do it exactly like this. Right, right, right. It just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have many versions because Martha was all about the future, and she was she embraced change. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is a directive, I think, from her to me, mm-hmm. because there are many people who want to memorialize this and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is exactly the way it was done and must always be done." Mm-hmm. And right. it couldn't have been farther from the way she worked. Mm-hmm. She was in the moment. She was under. She had a incredible pulse on every audience knowing how the audience was changing and how her works would have the most impact and how each dancer would have the most impact she would not expect me to mimic a performance of hers Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have crossed her mind she as a director spent her time helping me understand my own power Mm -hmm. and how to bring that to any role. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, so interesting. Balance. And I, I think every choreographer has uh, hallmarks, if mm-hmm. you will. And, you know, how that plays out in terms of, you know, uh, future interpretations and future uh, restorations uh, is different for everybody. I mean, if you think about Mr. Balanchine, I always think about music. I mean, mm-hmm. it starts with the music and it has a musical veracity that you cannot, you cannot. Uh, ignore certainly but you also have to be uh engaged with mm-hmm. like and mr robbins certainly the sense of theater the idea that as he used to say play the scene baby you know it's not simply you go there it's that if you if if she doesn't go there then you might just continue on doing something else mm-hmm. you know that these things actually relate to each other in such theatrical ways right. uh and so that's it's actually about our outlook mm-hmm. as much as it is about anything else right. and that's the the kind of gift that that is left to us is to to re-engage with those outlooks in the same way frankly that we re-engage with 
whether it's Shakespeare or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Sophocles or go on, you know, sure. go back. Yeah. If this is, you know, yeah. uh, and the, the, the tone, I know when, like when I work with uh, Wynton Marsalis and we talk about the history of jazz music, for mm-hmm. instance, and it's, there's, there's again an intent of deep notes, as he said, Louis Armstrong used to say, you know, and that tells you, I mean, you don't need much more than that sometimes. Right. Just just utter those two words. And I see the the young musicians go, OK, <laughs> I see the, the doorway is there. Right. And now I go, I will enter. Yeah, yeah. You said Martha was so open to the future and not, you know, interested in preserving things exactly the way they were. Did she leave any clues as to how she felt the life of her works would should be presented after her death? I think she left a lot of clues. I don't think she left said anything <laughs> straight out. I don't think she liked to think about life after Martha. Mm-hmm. Um, but she left a lot of clues. Um, our work with uh, media now, and we had a residency at Google last year for two mm-hmm. two weeks How just cool. to experiment with new technology and see if it if it um, combined with our work and didn't overshadow it. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we we've done a lot of experimenting, and I I do it in Martha's name mm-hmm. because um, she was one of the first to put dance on film. In the late 50s, well, we have films from the 40s, even the late 30s of of Martha. But she, as a director, worked on uh, a film in the late 50s called A Dancer's World and was often behind the camera as well as in front of it. Mm -hmm. And during my years, we did uh, three programs for Dance in America on PBS. Mm -hmm. And Martha was fascinated by the technology and would spend more time in the control room watching the different camera angles changing the dance to be more effective from the way it was going to be perceived on the screen Mm -hmm. Um, so she was just avid she had a great avidity Mm -hmm. for the new Mm -hmm. she's she called herself doom eager Um, it's an icelandic (laughs) term and for me, she was always in a state of free fall. She was always stepping off the edge of that cliff mm-hmm. and, and uh, trying, experimenting, figuring out what the next uh, great shock was going to be. Mm-hmm. I love awesome. that phrase. I've never heard yeah. that. Somehow Doom, I've missed Doom that. Doom eager. Doom <laughs> eager. We might have to have a banner with that. <laughs> I like <Sure>. it. <laughs> so how often when you're sitting down kind of thinking about the future of the company and what you should do next, how often are you thinking what would Martha want and what does she want me to do? Never. Never. No. Uh, no. Uh, well, only in the sense that sure. I feel I have permission from her to do anything right. except make these ballets little sacred museum pieces. Mm-hmm. She wants her work to travel through time, um, which it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see Appalachian Spring on Friday night. This work has really become timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, she and Aaron Copeland considered it to be their contribution to the war effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted a work about American determination, optimism, hope for the future. And their letters show that they considered so much of the American experience and the American conversation. There was originally a a Native American girl in the script for Appalachian Spring. Mm -hmm. There were sections about Uncle Tom's Cabin, about Harper's Ferry, um, Mm -hmm. about the um, poets at the time, William Carlos Williams. Mm -hmm. And and religion is throughout. The Puritans, the Shakers, the Quakers, they're Mm -hmm. just these reams and reams of 
beautiful letters between the two of them. Um, and I believe they distilled all that down into the eight characters that you'll see in Appalachian Spring. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much a cutting away as um, compressing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so much of what they were considering is still America, mm -hmm. you know? There, mm -hmm. was, there were considerations about immigration at that time. They, they um, hired Isama Noguchi and Yuriko, one of the new dancers in the company, within months of them being released from internment camps. Um, it, it, it's really such a fertile, um, a creative period, and it, it, all of that travels with the dance today, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. So Damien, uh, you are obviously very involved in programming here at the Real Dance Festival, and you brought out the Martha Graham Dance Company several times. What about the company makes it such a good fit for the festival and its audiences? Well, two things. One is uh, everything Janet just said, uh, <laughs> because it has it's it's an absolute match uh, for philosophically with what mm -hmm. we're trying to do uh, every every day, every hour, and the team here in Vale. Uh, from the artistic team to the production team to the operations is all, frankly, everybody's bought into this idea that they're a part of something that's more than simply putting on a great performance. Mm -hmm. And that's what we heard from, from Janet just yeah. now, that this has a relation uh, to so many other areas and aspects. When you take a historic work like Appalachian Spring and you explicate it the way Janet just did, suddenly you realize it is living. Mm -hmm. The immigration fights of today, which are so dire and so pressing and so necessary to be engaged with, we get to do it through a historical work mm -hmm. like Appalachian Spring anew mm -hmm. and with another doorway to, to perception. Mm -hmm. And it is essential. So to me, that's primary, mm -hmm. the, that opportunity. And the conversations that Janet and I have had over the years about what if we, what if we, what if we. Mm -hmm all go around the ideas of opportunity. Opportunities for the repertory, opportunities for the dancers, opportunities for this place, that this is a specific place. Um, I listened to a tape of Jason Moran, who was here working this last two weeks, talking about the place, and he recognized that he'd never been here before. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, every year that Janet and the company come, we have another layer to add. Mm -hmm. So to me, uh, as the director, that's, that's what it's all about, and it's that opportunity, and I just hope we can just do forevermore. Yeah. Okay. So Damien, you were talking earlier about the up close. You, education is a big part of what you do here in Vail. Why is it really important for you to bring like the Martha Graham Dance Company and other older works that we've been talking about in order to provide context for the uh -huh. audience alongside these new works that is also a priority for you? Why do you I, do that? I think the history is tremendously important. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can I can attack it from Eight eight thousand sides here, right. but to me, it's like the, the, there's a base. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go anywhere, you have to come from somewhere, mm -hmm. and to have those bases, whether it's you know the work of Graham or Balanchine or Merce, Cunningham, and then all of the great composers from you know when we, when we put on Tchaikovsky to we do John Cage, mm -hmm. and we go down to Jason Moran or to Caroline Shaw, our composer in residence musically, we are engaging in a timeless conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's why the history is important, because it is a part of that continuum. And I think that we all want to, you know, recognize, uh, I'm going to quote Winton again, that we all enter midstream. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't start with us. It's certainly not going to end with us. Uh, and to have that context is tremendously valuable. And then, you know, just to the point uh, Janet just made about Appalachian, 
I think that, you know, the definitions of musicality that I started to kind of think through, I actually saw Vijay or the great jazz composer, pianist, posting about this yesterday, definitions of musicality and awareness, mm. how we have a greater awareness, whether it's as artists, performers, audience, uh, young people, it just at any given moment, there's an opportunity for a next step of awareness. Mm. And I think that's, that's why we're here. Right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about new works. Obviously, both of you commission a lot of new work for your respective organizations. But how do you decide what's going to be a good fit? You know, just because someone is getting commissions left and right, it might not be perfect for that moment for you. So what, for instance, Janet, what works for Martha Graham Dance Company? What's going to look good opposite her work? You know, I have stumbled upon a device that is working very well for us. <laughs> We uh, have an overarching theme for our seasons. Um, in the past, we've chosen something like myth and transformation, which would allow us to uh, focus on the Graham works where, that she used uh, myth uh, to inspire her mm -hmm. for certain works. Um, and at the same time, it would allow me to commission someone. And in that year, we commissioned Andanas Phoniadakis, believe it or not, he's Greek. Um, <laughs> and he created a work based on a Greek myth. Mm. Um, and it was diverse from Martha's style. Uh, he has his own wild, hyper-energetic style. It was new music. Um, it really couldn't have been more different from Martha's work. But they... Um, curating the two of them together made sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so in this past season and the, the coming season, we are uh, working under the umbrella of the EVE project. I chose this, uh, this theme because I wanted to emphasize Martha's revolutionary um, women on stage. She mm -hmm. revolutionized the way women were presented on stage with her complex, flawed anti-heroines like Medea, Clytemestra, Phaedra, um, uh, and, and going inside the memories and the thought patterns of these women and, and creating remarkable um, roles and characters on stage, which really hadn't been done before. Um, so I wanted to emphasize that about Martha, but I also wanted to engage with some of today's top choreographers who happen to be female. Um, and. Uh, that, again, has allowed me to choose artists who have a wildly diverse style from mm -hmm. Martha Graham's and yet make sense to live on the same program, mm -hmm. as you'll see tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. um, we have two Graham works, Appalachian Spring and then a, a, a comedy that she did in the 60s called Secular Games, alongside a work by Maxine Doyle and Bobby Jean Smith, uh, Maxine is the choreographer for Sleep No More. She comes out of the UK. Bobby Jean Smith comes out of Bathsheba and the Gaga world. Uh, and the other work is by Pam Tanowitz, who's very much about allowing design to um, draw the audience in and decide on what emotional content might mm -hmm. be there. So what kind of conversations do you have with these people coming in saying, like, you know, we have this theme for this mm -hmm. evening? Do you give them a lot of directive or do you just kind of say, like, stick with the theme and we're good? <laughs> it's pretty much it. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I, I choose the theme in order to free them right. 
Uh, and th of course, there are some limitations. We say we'd like something about 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. We appreciate it if you will not use sets or props because we have to fly with these works. Right. Mm -hmm. Majority of our work is on the road. Mm -hmm. um, so those kind of logistical things are baked in the cake, mm -hmm. but that in a way frees them also. They say, mm -hmm. okay, I, I work for 10 dancers, great, um, you know. Um, and uh, so it, that's it. I, I, we really mm -hmm. want them to go as far afield from Graham mm -hmm. as possible. I have many extraordinary Martha Graham works. I don't, <laughs> I don't really look for Graham-esque works. Mm -hmm. I look for works that will contrast, that will be in conversation with Mar Martha's right. work. And this is something that you were referring to, that the, um, the historic, the legacy works bring a historical context, a perspective mm -hmm. to the new works. And the new works bring uh, uh, fresh eyes and, um, and uh, today's context to our classics. Mm -hmm. So we find that uh, that our programs are now kind of a one plus one makes three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and audiences have been really attracted awesome. to it. What about you, Damien? What's your thought process when you're commissioning new works for the festival? Well, there's a couple of factors I always take into consideration, but mostly it's, again, a continuation of kind of a next step philosophy. I look for people that I think uh, are doing interesting work or have a, a next step uh, that are that's logical and you want something for them uh, and it can happen at any any stage it can be uh, someone who's never choreographed before who you notice uh, i've noticed you know has uh, uh, i don't know just something you can just tell that it's it's brewing and you want to put it on on the stove or it can be someone who's such a master uh, who you know has their own company someone like michelle dorrance uh, who when i came into uh, contact with her, you know, Michelle was already a MacArthur genius, mm -hmm. but I thought, wow, there's some things here that we can do together that she's not getting to do. Right. And that's the conversation. Right. And it was about music. It was about dancers. It was about the choice of being able to get together with a group of ballet dancers in addition to tap dancers and modern dancers and say, what would you do now? What might you make if you had right. this opportunity? Right. Uh, and over the last year, she's done extraordinary works here in Vail, culminating in this last one, which was just, uh, I don't know how to even describe it, but you know, I, I, you have to see it. I'm going to give you the tape. She made a 12, uh, 13 minute piece that had the subject of domestic violence with a group of different dancers, music created by Caroline, uh, quartet vocals, and it was a complete kind of a tone poem. And it's just, you know, just the kind of thing you can't get to do. Right. So I think about that. I think, you know, what's the opportunity? Or Alonzo King this season, obviously, you know, one of the great masters of this time or any other. Mm -hmm. uh, but then what's the opportunity? Well, to work with dancers from City Ballet and from, from Lines with Jason Moran, mm -hmm. you know, that you just go, well, mm -hmm. okay, so yeah. we're going we're gonna to do it. Yeah. Let's try that. Yeah. Uh, and the more ambitious, frankly, the more I like it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do, do you do sort of the same thing? Just like go wild, have fun here, the dancers? Or do you kind of try to... A little. I have a little bit of the certainly the timing conversation, but mm -hmm. I try and be as open as I can because mm -hmm. I respect that the need to for narrative, mm -hmm. you know, and how that how that plays out. I talk a lot with people about music, mm -hmm. you know, whoever it is on any given level, whether it's mm -hmm. Michelle or Justin Peck or, you know, we talk about music and mm -hmm. we talk about place and we talk about what it's going to feel like and when it's going to what point in the program sometimes we talk early sometimes we talk late mm -hmm. uh, that's very important right it is yeah. well i mean i'll give you 
example again about Michelle's piece, which we had an extra complication because this year she had a terrible schedule conflict, which meant that she had to leave literally by the intermission of Monday night. Uh, so we knew she had to get to Denver for the red eye. Right, right. So by definition, I was going to put her piece in the first act. Right? So there you go. Uh, at Sunday night at 11 o'clock, as she was lighting the piece, we were looking at it. And when she finished, she said, put in the second act. Hmm. I got to go, but it should be in the second act. Because it had to be darker. Yeah. For she just said, it does, it's not right. I don't need to see it. She said, it's okay. So, she didn't so you know, you know, so you don't know until you know. Right. And that's, uh, that's live theater. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. So um, many of the most important contemporary choreographers also started as dancers for Martha Graham, such as Merce Cunningham and Paul Taylor, just as two examples. So how do you both feel that Martha's work continues to inform what we're seeing today? Hmm. Well, since you ask me, <laughs> and it's me, I think Martha's influence permeates the dance world. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just think it does. Mm -hmm. Even Merce, who did a 180, did a 180 from Martha. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was in her company. Um, so even choreographers who don't know that they are um, emerging from whoever emerged from whoever emerged mm -hmm. from the Graham uh, philosophy of theater um, are using techniques that she pioneered as she really reinvented American dance. Right. right. Um, so, I mean, but you're asking me. <laughs> I think, you know, to a great degree, in addition to that, it's also the level of engagement that you are creating with others who are not necessarily in the, in the, in the line. You know, in the veil sense, having someone like Erman Cornejo go into a grand piece opened up worlds to him that I have seen reflected in not only in his, you know, what would consider, you know, say, oh, that makes sense, but also in how he how he comports himself in the ballet world. Mm -hmm. You know, it really has a, uh, a secondary effect and a third effect and a fourth effect. Mm -hmm. That's a I think great in part. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, go no, on. In part because Martha's intent was to get down to essences, mm -hmm. um, and what she wanted was to be able to express the essence of the human condition, mm -hmm. human emotion through physicality. Mm -hmm. um, we spend a lot of time in rehearsal stripping things away that are just sort of decorative things that have crept into one mm -hmm. dance or another, but she was getting down to essences, and I think. When a gram work is well directed, mm. or when it's the technique is well taught, a dancer from any style can understand that they are um, they are using well that they are, the point of dance in Martha's world was to express human truths, and that is essential to almost any dance technique mm -hmm. really there are different vocabularies yeah. there are different ways of decorating it but when you remind people about that essence um, that connects them to martha graham mm -hmm. i think this is a great place for us to look to our audience to see if any of you have any questions come on bruce <laughs> you're right here i had first to, to share an anecdote in the mid-50s i was a local I lived in New London, Connecticut, and I was one of her students. Oh, and yeah. um, I remember it being very difficult. It was hard work, um, but it, it's made, I, never, I didn't become a dancer, but that experience has made an impact for me in my life. Uh, 
being interested in actually, I went into American civilization work and mm -hmm. um, museum work and integrating and I choreograph my life. I think about mm -hmm. life as choreographing a life. Mm -hmm. And then I went into uh, tours and destination management in Boston and I would choreograph people moving through mm -hmm. a city and having experiences. Uh -huh. but I, I want to say how wonderful these forms are. And Janet, I, and the articulateness of dancers. So we see them dance, mm -hmm. we hear the music, but to hear the voice of dancers and choreographers this summer has been has made another impact on me. Right. And Janet, I was in the audience in Scottsdale when the Martha mm -hmm. Graham and you introduced it. And I, I want to say I think that's a really that introduction is a really effective uh, part of the audience experience. Mm -hmm. so Thank you. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It's been really successful for us. Great. Yes, so, as long as we're being in the audience somewhere, I was in the audience for both performances in Ann Arbor. Ah, uh, right, great. And thank you for doing two different programs. <laughs> so it was nice to get a little extra bonus there. What I wonder is, how is coming to Vail outside of 8,000 feet different than going to Scottsdale or Ann Arbor? Well, as Damien says, the, the venue is unique. You know, you're, you're coming into the nature and the natural backdrop, of mm -hmm. course. And there are logistical things to consider about how light it's gonna be in the first half of the performance mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, but you feel the atmosphere, and since this is our fourth time here, I have felt it grow, mm -hmm. that this atmosphere of creative experimentation about permission to create new works that can't really be done anywhere else or don't have anyone else to support them and encourage them. That um, permeates the not only the artists that are here, but the audiences that come back every year. You can feel the atmosphere of support for experimentation and creativity, which is just not always the case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. We've been coming here 10 to 12 years one of the reasons we start, started was because of Damien, because we used to have tickets to the New York City Ballet. <laughs> we always loved him. <laughs> but the important thing that I see here is the introduction to many different types of dance. <laughs> and every year it gets more and more developed, and the integration of the different dances with each other <laughs> We get this nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, several years ago, you had a performance, several performances in New York, mm -hmm. where you brought in a number of the stars here. And we went, mm -hmm. um, because we love it. <laughs> and we've been sad because we haven't seen that in a while. And we were wondering if perhaps something like this might be in. Well, that was, uh, that was the Vail remix performances at City Center. Uh, it was coincided with 10 years of my directorship, and we felt like there had been so much work done out here that we're so lucky that people like yourself come to see and we thought we need to share. So I think we're, we're banking some things, and hopefully we'll, we'll do something else like that. I will say that what's been nice has been that many of the works uh, that are created here do go on to other lives, mm -hmm. uh, which is really something we are very proud of at the festival. Uh, what 
putting it into the framework of the Vale remix was was terrific. But it's so great to know that you know works that have been commissioned by the festival go on, whether they're you know with a big company like ABT or you know just that there's this chance for the next step uh, for a work. And it's something I believe in anyway for the creators. I think I'm a big believer in taking a second pass on the third pass and a fourth pass because that really is, as Janet said, that's what. Graham did. That's mm -hmm. what Malachine did. God knows that's what Robbins did. It didn't just, it's not frozen. And so I love that idea that they get to go on and try more and they do more. So we're always looking for that. But hopefully we'll, we'll do another season like that soon. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think we have time for a couple more. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just have a comment. I, um, I've been coming to the dance festival for a long time. And in New York, I see Herman dance in all these very traditional roles or contemporary roles. But what I've noticed out here is something that he is able, like like Damien said, to do works that he never would be able to do mm -hmm. through ABT. And that um, also that the dancers, from, because they are dancing, especially the solo parts, with different people than they dance with normally, mm -hmm. that they find it absolutely enthralling mm -hmm. the opportunity to do that and where else can you get that yeah. out here we we hear that all the time from the artists when we talk to them we ask yeah. them what makes Vale special and every time it's the atmosphere and it's that they get to dance with these dancers that they otherwise wouldn't get to even if it's just across the plaza i know ABT, there's that you know? that's really again building off of that's what i liked to do mm -hmm. as when i was in their position mm -hmm. i wanted to go on tour with someone you know new and try you know right, and yeah. see what the overlap was and uh so i think about calvin and unity who are mm -hmm. kind of have a partnership here yeah. through the through the canon of balancing from agon to apollo and you know we're always thinking okay and then they go around the rest of their year but they've been lucky to have but one or two things. they yeah. do it's built yeah. into a into a partnership that mm -hmm. that lives beyond and we love that yeah. i think that's the opportunity for the artists yeah. and it's the opportunity for the works mm -hmm. you know to have a, a new life that way as well right yeah so our last question in the back of the well, thank you for bringing <laughs> Isn't he? I love Calvin too. Erman is just, you know, it's it's pure joy and watching him kind of, he's like a fish in water, whatever it is, you know, he just finds his way in. And it's very interesting because everybody has different speeds. There are people who like go like this and it's done. And Herman is kind of like, a, it's a stealthy thing. And then suddenly it's there and it's like, wow. It's like all together. Yeah. yeah. So last year I brought someone who was in Redcliffe who has lived here for, I don't know, 30 years, mm -hmm. and they never came to the, the dance festival. And she went to one of the international nights and saw him dance and just. Yeah. Magnificent. So, anyway, um, so my question for Janet. Um, so, I know where the center is in New York. I'm from the New York area. I don't do a lot of modern dance. I'd like to do some more. Are most of your performances at the center? Your center? Our center? No, we have a New York season each year that um, we just had one at City Center this past April. No, that's not right. We're, we're coming up. Um, you know, we're coming up on City Center. We just, we just had one at the Joyce. We were at the Joyce for two weeks. And next spring, we'll be at City Center in April. Well, we have, I was going to recommend this to you as well. We have a wonderful studio series in our uh, big studio, which used to be Merce Cunningham's studio. Um, 
and it turns into a black box. And we do uh, several events throughout the year. You can get a subscription um, that come under the heading of Graham Deconstructed, where we take you inside a Graham classic that we're, we're reconstructing. Cool. You can see the Noguchi sets mm -hmm. and understand the background. These each take about an hour, mm -hmm. and you're about this far away from the dancers. And the other um, is New at Graham, where we have one of the uh, artists commissioned that we've commissioned talk about their process and show you excerpts of their work. We just had Troy Schumacher in the studio. We'll be premiering a work of his in November, and we'll be doing a studio sort of work in progress um, for audiences in early November. Um, so yeah, come on down. We, <laughs> we do. Your season is primarily spring. It is, yeah, and we're on the road a lot, uh, yeah. yeah. So and my other question is about, since you are on the road so much, do you have older dancers? Or do they have families? How do they manage that when you have older dancers? We have a range of ages in the company. I'd say the oldest is 41 now. Wow. Um, we don't have anyone in the company right now that has children. We do have one dancer who's pregnant, and I'll let you guess which one it is tomorrow night. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we're on the road of 15, 16 weeks a year. Uh, we have, it, it, it's manageable, because we don't go out for 16 right. weeks. Right. We'll go out for a couple of weeks and then come home, or go out for five days and come home. Um, so we have had dancers travel with babysitters, and, uh, you know, they, they figure it out. Have you noticed here in Vail how many, we have so many dancers and musicians with kids and dogs, so we have a whole series going, and, and next year we're going to have to do daycare, we've decided. So, uh, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's kind of extraordinary. I mean, you know, you're in the middle of some, some rehearsal and you see, you know, life is all around you. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank both of you so much for coming out and talking to us, and thanks to all of you guys that made it to the Festival Forums this year. Thank you. And uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks Thank all. you. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to Tom Boyd, director of PR in the Gerald R. Ford Amphitheater, for recording, mixing, and editing this interview. Stay tuned to our social media this week as we continue to release content directly from the Vale Dance Festival as it happens. This episode has been made possible by the Town of Vale, a sponsor helping to host the Vale Dance Festival in our community. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.